Hello and welcome fellow film buffs. I'm Zach Droll, and I'm joined by my co-host, fellow cinephile, and soon-to-be married man, Hunter Ventilier. <laughs> I mean, soon is a relative term, but yes. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, man, over the vacation, I decided to do it. That's where I was. That's what I was doing. <laughs> yep. And we'll be back to our normal format today, guys, reading notes. Uh, the, the MCU stuff, since uh, things are going to be a little bit changing up for the for box office losers uh yano is going to be is going to try to be a mainstay for the mcu movies uh we are genuinely a comic book nerd so we know enough about the movies the the characters oh yeah yeah if i was on the like iron that. man episode i would have been like spouting iron man facts to you guys like it was nobody's business it's like like did you know that like robert Downey jr got suspended from middle school from tearing up an iron man comic and calling that kid a nerd <laughs> <laughs> that's a real know, fact <laughs> i didn't know that but that's funny but um, i just know more iron man facts rather than robert downey jr facts but it's just that like we we know general like general information about the movie so mm -hmm. we're not gonna really we're, we're gonna pluck notes here and there but yeah yeah no i gotta listen to that episode because i didn't have time over the vacation i'm gonna listen to the episode and see if i like that format a lot better and then see if that one works well for us because you guys will still probably do it when you do the MCU stuff. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm trying to, like, I had to rework another one of my podcasts because it seemed too streamlined and, like, too info-heavy. I needed to drop it to more of, like, a, let's talk about random shit. Yeah, so like, we, we want our podcast to feel like a genuine conversation about the movies. Yeah, so we got to get a little bit better on that. I know we've done, like, 40 episodes of, like, almost 50 of shooting the shit at you guys like here's all the information you need to know about this movie because at the beginning i wanted it to be different than all the normal movie podcasts where people like just talk bullshit i want to like oh this has information like we want to listen to it because it, we get little trivia pieces to tell our friends which is still cool in itself but i don't know it, it's losing like it's it becomes charm daunting. after it, beca it becomes like a problem after a while i was like this is just like me and Zach reading information to each other and then going, that's crazy. <laughs> and, um, on, uh, uh, so, a little update about my week. Um, yeah, man, how'd that go? <laughs> I, I, I bought a cursed Garfield, as I showed you before sort of recording. Yeah, if you, if you have the opportunity, throw it up on screen. <laughs> it will be, yeah, for our, for our YouTube listeners, it'll be on the screen now. Uh, it is scary. <laughs> it's scary, but... Oh my gosh, is is he adorable, but also very derpy. One eye is just drifting off to the left. <laughs> He's got a lazy eye. <laughs> uh, nothing else really happened. Oh, I, I bought my first ever Hawaiian shirt. Oh, dude, is, I, as well. I bought uh, one on vacation, and I have like four chilling in my uh, closet right now. Four or five of them. Nice, nice. And yeah. I also, I've been doing a lot of like Walmart shopping online. Oh, nice. Been, so I've been like getting like, I've been buying snacks, and also because I can't buy a specific peanut butter in stores, so I have to <coughs> go about it that way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and I I saw that Mountain Dew has a flavor called Frostbite. And uh, Shark Bite. Yeah, Shark Bite. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's a pretty uh, solid flavor. It's like a blue raspberry. And I I couldn't get it. Oh man! Uh, in in good. the states, so I had I ordered an eighteen pack from like Florida. <laughs> Jeez, man. <laughs> Listen, I yeah, I'm, no, it's because it was originally a Walmart exclusive for a while, and then Walmart sucks, so Walmart stopped carrying Walmart, it for a bit. Walmart in New York sucks. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, we were. I was when I was on vacation, I stopped at like a Walmart and a Target just because to pick up general supplies, and you know we found like 
toys and games and food and drinks that like New York Walmarts just don't have. Well, like Walmart in New York and in Long Island don't serve alcohol like the others ones do. <laughs> yeah, no, they have like a very like generic selection. Yeah, there. it's like it's Budweiser and Corona, and then if you go to like say North Carolina, you got Jack Daniels, vodka, mm-hmm. Smirnoff. Yeah, they like, don't give huh? shit. It's like why? Why is it not served here? Don't know. Yeah, I'm um, excited, man. Fun. But uh, mm. so back on to our lovely intro here. Each and every week, we deep dive into the movie spirit to watch and review any and all things to ever grace the silver screen or your TV screen. This week, we are talking about Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, man, that movie, fire. It's it's I love it for the music in general. Oh, the music is great because it's Queen, and I like the story. For what it is, and I think Rami Malek did a fantastic job, oh, but there are some, there's a lot of misinformation in it, or at least not a lot, but there's a decent amount of like, yeah, they stretched a lot of this to make a movie out of it. And also, some so. people looked better than others, even though they were equally as bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, shit. They shined a light on a couple people making them like little goody goodies, and then they had a couple that were like, yeah, you're supposed to be an asshole, and then it's like, well, no. But I will say, the, the actor who betrayed... Uh, Brian May looks exactly like him. It's scary how 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 close they are to looking looking like each other. Yeah, I think they were. Uh, if he's still alive, I think I saw him in the movie. Mm. I think they make an appearance. I forget Brian where. Brian May is still alive. Yeah. Yeah, I think they made an appearance. Yeah, they make an appearance in the crowd at Live Aid. Yeah, they're in the rafters, right? I think so. Yeah, that's what I thought they were. When I saw them, I was like, "Those look like these two guys." And then they showed they didn't show him after that, and I was like, God damn it, now I can't tell. But, <coughs> Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> got a call. Dying, he's, he's dying. As I always do. Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody is a 2018 uh, biographical musical drama, drama film directed by Brian Singer from a screenplay of Anthony McCartan and produced by Graham King and, and Queen manager Jim Beach. Miami. The film film tells the story of the life of Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of the British rock music band Queen. From the formation of the band up to their 1985 Live Aid performance at the original Wembley Stadium. I will say that that Live Aid performance, if I was to go back in time to see anything, it would be that. Well, they also, uh, for the movie, they actually filmed that, you said, first. Yes. But um, most of that was like real people. Uh... No, you so tell, you can tell there was CGI, but a lot of it there was like they yeah, actually held an actual concert on the uh, yeah on on the movies anywhere. There's like the behind the scenes of that mm-hmm. and the making of it. It was only maybe like a couple hundred people. Then they just like just multiplied them. Well, yeah, you can tell when they're doing the crowd zoom. You can see a lot of copies, but like apparently it was one of the biggest like live uh, crowd extra performances in like the recent years. Yeah, every every single concert they portrayed, and they did like the one at MSG. Everywhere, like mm. those were all like concerts that they put on in like concert halls. Yeah, it's dope and stuff like that. It's like I will say this movie, and the one coming up later on the, in the coming months with Rocket Man, mm-hmm. are two of the most like, or my favorite um, uh, biopics. Sure, with with Rocket Man being more of a fantasy with some of the stuff that goes on. Oh, Rocket Man is phenomenal. It, it is like I, I, I want that put on to a Broadway play. That was just 
so good. But um, do you want to kick us off with this uh, cast? Because I'm gonna butcher last names like a motherfucker. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I closed the notes out because you were doing so well. <clears throat> oh, thank you. Uh, we got Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury. We have uh, Lucy Boynton as Mary Austin. Uh, Gwilliam Lee as Brian May. That's a name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, ben Hardy as Roger Taylor. Joe Mazzilio as Deacon. Aiden Gillen as John Reed. Uh, Alan Leach as Paul. Fuck that guy. Uh, Tom Hollander as Miami Beach. Mike Myers as Ray Foster. Oh, man. He was great. Uh, Aaron McCusker McCusker as Jim Hewton. Memenke Das as as his mother. Ace Body as his father. And uh, Priya Blackburn as his sister. So, Hell yeah, man. The, the, so the fun thing is, so Mike Myers' character, Ray Foster, is fictional. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Not even a real person. Or was he based off a real person? Like, I, he was I, like, I, this I, is I like think, someone that passed up on him who was a dickhead, but we couldn't I, get his I, likeness. I think, I think he was based off, like, multiple people, the ones who passed oh, up okay. on him. Mm. Uh, but, I, but I do love the line of, no one's in a headbank to Bohemian Rhapsody, then think of Wayne's World. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, that's funny. I think that was a I think that was a joke. That, that mm-hmm. I think they did that on purpose. They were like, "Hey, look, he actually did it." <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting though. The people who would pass it up on, on Queen. Yeah, I mean, I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but like, can you believe passing up Queen? I was watching um, Empire of Dreams, which is a Star Wars documentary mm-hmm. about George Lucas and the making of the original Star Wars trilogy. <clears throat> and he was talking about how when he was filming the first movie. He was passed up by, like, two or three studios. They just didn't want his weird space movie. And I'm like, can you imagine passing on fucking Star Wars? That's, yeah, like... <laughs> like, Star Wars is a multi-billion dollar franchise that is known throughout the entire world as, like, the titular sci-fi, like, opera. And you just passed up on it because you're like, ah, him and his weird space wizards. It's also, it, it, uh, it's like the people who passed up on, on Back to the Future. Yeah, dude, it, it's... When you, like when you look at like the movies that made us, season two's coming out. Uh, Loki, no, not not sponsored, but go check it out. Uh, the movies that made us, they like oh, Die Hard got passed up a bunch of times. So did um, oh god, Nightmare Before Christmas and Dirty Dancing. Like all these movies just got passed up by these companies because they didn't believe in it, and then they became like huge films. Yeah, Ghostbusters got passed classics. up. They do even Ghostbusters got passed up a bunch of times, and I was like, how could you not pick up Ghostbusters? That's that's so weird to think like. Imagine, though, if any of these movies did get picked up by those studios, how would, like, the history of them exactly. be? Exactly. Like, that's that's the kind of, like, like what if, like, histories I want to see. Like, what if, you know, MGM picked up a certain movie that it didn't that it passed or, on one time? Or what if Legendary picked it up? Or what if the Weinstein Company even got it? I know he back, sucks, but, like, if you go back, well, he did a what lot. What if Disney did pick up Back to the Future? Yeah, that would have been crazy. That mean Marty McFly would be Marty McMouse. <laughs> God, no. We'd have Mickey Mouse dressed up in Back to the Future clothes all the time. Doc, They would have made a parody with Mickey and Goofy as Doc and Marty. I would be down to see that in, in parks, though. <laughs> yeah, and Donald would be, um, what's his face? Biff. Um, Biff, yeah. No, nah, no, nah, that's Pete. That, that goes yeah, to but Pete. What does Donald do, then? What does Donald, his dad? He just fucks off. <laughs> <laughs> Donald just fucks off. Yeah, but uh, so <laughs> back onto the to the to the topic of, of Bohemian Rhapsody. The, yeah, the budget of this film 
was 50 to 55 million. That's not that bad. And, well, it definitely crushed it at the box office, 904.4 million dollars. Yeah, it destroyed its box office, which is great. Even if you double the amount of um, the budget for marketing, it is still, like, blew it out of the water, which I think is awesome. This movie isn't perfect, don't get me wrong, and I know our scores will reflect how opposite my statement just was, but, like... This movie is just, it's just really it's it's it, even it, though it's like depressing it's in moments it, it's got a very good nice feel good triumphant like this is an epic tale that needed to be told. That's why I love Rocket Man a lot too. Like yeah, there's a lot of dull like depressing moments in there, but the pacing is great and it's just like ah oh, I will, this is exciting. I'll never forget when I saw Rocket Man in theaters and it's well known that Elton John is an openly gay man. Oh, for sure. And there was like I think like like one like I think it was there was like a um like the gay like dry humping scene <laughs> between yeah. um uh, Elton John and like, I think it's like his manager or friend at the time mm-hmm. and there was an old couple watching the movie and you hear the old man go oh come on <laughs> it's like dude do you not know who Elton John is <laughs> not a lot of people know they just see a movie called Rocket Man and go I'll see that I like Taron. <laughs> I saw Kingsman. I like him. <laughs> but it was an old man. He, like you would think, he knows who Elton yeah. John is. He probably personally knew Elton John. <laughs> like, oh, that man's not gay. It's all a lie. Just That's for the, the movie. That's the straightest man ever. They just exaggerated his sexuality for the movie. It's so, like no. Diving into this, into these lovely notes. <clears throat> Plans for a film about Queen were revealed in September 2010 by the band's guitarist Brian May, covering the period up to Live Aid in 1985. The film was to feature Sasha Baron Cohen as Freddie Mercury. Ugh. That's weird to think, but but also like... He's Sa- not a bad actor, and he does a lot of serious Sasha stuff. Sasha does also kind of look like he Freddie does. a bit. Yeah, no, there's, um, there's a movie that came out called The Trial of the Chicago 7, and that's one of the, um, the Cohen... Sasha Baron Cohen films where he's actually doing serious acting. Most of his movies is very, like, you know, Borat. It's like, okay, I don't need to see this. You know, the Brothers Grimsby. He, he like, was good in, um... He's got some serious stuff. This is Sasha Baron Cohen, like, for, for a short role. He was good in uh, Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so Sasha Baron Cohen was, was supposed to play Freddie Mercury with uh, Graham King to co-produce and Peter Morgan to write the screenplay. May confirmed in April 2011 that the production was moving forward. He approved of, of Sasha Baron Cohen as, excuse me, as Mercury, but had revisions about the project's possible direction. Yeah, because they, um... Because they realized Bar- that they were going to betray Cohen everyone atta- equally. Yeah, with, Bar- with Baron Cohen attached, it's going to be like, alright, this is going to be very flamboyant. And also, everyone's going to be betrayed equally. Yeah. And no, no one's going to be a goody two-shoes when they were clearly an, an asshole. Uh-huh. Everyone was treated like a piece of shit, except for Deacon. Deacon's character is the only one who, like, wasn't an asshole. Be- because Deacon lived a <laughs> private life, so yeah, no one De- really knew about him. Yeah, Deacon was pretty, like, he had a wife and a kid, and, like, that's about it that we knew about him, really, besides him being in the band. Like, we know that, um, uh, Brian had a little bit of history, and then we know, um... Roger. Uh, Rog- Ro- Roger was a bit of a, uh... Um, not a misogynist, um, a player. Uh, he also was, a, yeah, he, he was a, a sex pest. <laughs> Leave it at that. Oh, uh, yeah, sure, we'll say it like that. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, so the, the project was to move forward, but they had their revisions 
about the project's possible direction, the band's uh, concerned focusing on avoiding any harm to Mercury's, to, to Mercury's legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, in June of 2013, uh, uh, Cohen left the project due to creative differences. Cre- uh, creative differences. Allegedly, he wanted a gritty R-rated tell-all focus on Mercury, while the band hoped for a PG-rated film about the band. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been weird. I, th- I think this is rated R or PG-13, but it's got uh, a lot of, PG-13. like... PG-13. Yeah, it's got no a lot f- of heavy overtones. Yeah. Um, May said later in 2013 that uh, Baron Cohen had left the project on good terms. Comments by May and Roger... Uh, suggest that Cohen was too well known as a comedian and prankster, due largely to do his fictional uh, personas as Ali G and Borat, and that his uh, presence in the film would be distracting. Exactly. In March of 2016, uh, Baron Cohen spoke about the misunderstanding with Queen about the subject and events of the film, in particular, in particular whether the story ought to continue past Mercury's 1991 death and also mentioned artistic disagreements with the band over the composition of the production team, uh, referring specifically to Cohen recruiting Morgan, David Finch, and Tom Hooper. You're telling me they didn't want David Fincher on the film? Isn't he, like, one of the big dudes? Yeah, he he created fucking, um... That was, like, Fight Club, right? That, that he, was mostly David makes, he mostly makes psychological thrills. No, I think that was David Finch. Fincher has done Zodiac, Social Network, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and Mank. Ah. And Gone Girl he helped with. Uh, <clears throat> following uh, Baron Cohen's departure in 2013, uh, Ben Wishaw was mentioned as a possible replacement to play Mercury. Who is Ben Wishaw? I'll click on it. I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> what movies has he done? He was in... Um, uh, Hamlet. He was cool. also in My Brother Tom, and he was in a bunch of TV shows such as Perfume, I'm Not There, uh, Bride's Head Revisited, Bright Star, Criminal Justice, The Hour. He's been in a lot of like random Cloud shows. Atlas. Okay, so nothing really yeah. too known for me. He was uh, Q in James Bond Skyfall. Who? Q. He was like one of oh, the... Oh, like, wait, te- wait. He, he's also the he's... voice of Paddington. Yeah. Okay, cool. Back to where we were. Um, mentioned as a possible replacement for Mercury, also at the time, Dexter Fincher was selected as the film director. Oh, Fletcher, my bad. Uh, Flet- uh, Fletcher removed himself from the project early the following year amid reports of creative disagreements with King. This seems to be a big problem here. In yeah. August 2014, Wishaw suggested that the film was not progressing well, that there had been scripting problems. Wishaw left the project seven months later. Rumors following in 2015 that Baron Cohen had to rejoin the project or that Wishaw might return. Woo-woo. Do you want to pick up? I read a lot. Yeah. In November 2015, screenwriter Anthony McCartan became attached to the project, which had which he'd been known for... Um, which had now the working title of Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay, that's what it is. Sorry. Developing a fresh take on the story with, uh, from his interviews with May and Taylor, he delivered his first draft in 2016. 
Uh, a year later, Brian Singer was in talks to take over as director. Rami Malek was cast as Mercury, and the film was fast-tracked by 20th Century Fox and New Regency. It was reported that in 2015, Johnny Flynn was to play Roger Taylor, and Gemma uh, Arterton was to play Mary Austin, but I believe they recasted her later. Yes. Um, in 2017, Malik confirmed that he had been conducted, that he has conducted recordings at Abbey Road Studios and had consulted with Taylor and May. In the same month, Entertainment Weekly reported that Taylor and May were serving as musical producers, and then Justin Haith was revealed to have penned another draft of the script. In November of 2016, it was announced that Rami Malik would officially star as uh, Freddie Mercury. This is just like an addition. Yeah. Um, after the producers saw his work in Mr. Robot. Which I need to get because, back on that show. Yeah, that show was crazy. It ended, so there's a you know definitive ending. Yeah. But um, that show was like what really skyrocketed him because he wasn't really in much until that. He was, he was uh, King Tut in Night at the Museum trilogy. That was. And a... then he was Joshua in Until Dawn, and then he was like in a bunch of random stuff. Yeah. And then, um, Mr. Robot is what made people go, "Oh, this guy's good." And then Bohemian Rhapsody obviously increased his acting prowess at least in my opinion and then he kind of fell off the face of the earth right now now nah, he's doing stuff he's just bouncing around mm. he's got a movie coming out soon i believe and he was just in uh the hbo max movie the little things okay cool where he plays a detective with uh denzel washington where they hunt down jared leto it's really good oh dope i gotta watch that yeah it's pretty good um so while he's pre-recording at abbey roads um he met the other guys from Queen, and on August 2017, additional cast members were announced. Ben Hardy would be playing Roger Taylor, Gwimlin Lee would be Brian May, Joseph Mazzilio was Deacon, and on 2017, uh, Alan Leach had been cast as the personal manager with Paul, as Paul, uh, who worked for him from 77 to 87, when he was fired by selling his personal information to UK newspapers. Yep. Yep. Um, in September of 2017... Uh, Lucy Boyanton was announced to play as Mary Austin, Lindsay Sterling, Bryce Dallas Howard. Ooh, she would have been good. And uh, other pe- Ashley Johnson were also considered. On September 2017, Mike Myers joined the cast to play EMI executive Ray Foster. And uh, the other people that were in the movie got cast as well. This is all just a bunch of yeah, casting. Th- th- that was my bad. I just picked and yeah, no, nah. Yeah. You didn't know what time I was going to be back, so it was hard to like, get everything together. Uh, I got this one. Uh, pre-production began... In 2017, in the UK, with principal photography commencing in London in September of 2017, Queen archivalist Greg Brooks was instrumental in helping recreate each scene to make it as true as life as possible. He worked daily with Fox for months from the beginning, providing answers to questions that were about a hundreds uh, that were about hundreds of extras who were all individually sc- uh, scanned. 360 and digitally replicated to imitate a large crowd yeah. and for, for the entire live performance was filmed on a giant set at a former airfield uh, I'm not going to mention where it was but in the final cut we will rock you and crazy little thing were cut out which was like pretty much the full live yeah. performance uh, mm-hmm. when Malik was contacted about playing Mercury he had only casually known he had only casual knowledge of Queen Me. to uh, to embody Mercury, Malik had to work many intense sessions with a movement coach, as well as learn to talk and penunt and uh, with prosthetic teeth. Yeah, dude, that's probably crazy. Uh, 
uh, besides uh, examining Mercury's movements, they also watched footage of Liz... Liza Minnelli. Well, Liza Minnelli, thank you, sorry. Who was an inspiration on Mercury's stage moves. Malik took singing and piano lessons and had an accent coach as well. He said, I had to recreate things he did on a fly uh, on stage. There were many days I had said to myself, this is a lost cause. After finishing the film, Malik said that he became a Queen superfan, specifying, I see Freddy as the best performer of all time. I would never cease to be astonished by this man. Freddie Mercury was crazy. Oh, he was. Like, man, if only he was alive today. Yeah. While Malik sang some parts of the film, uh, production insisted a vocal stem from Queen's songs, as well as filling in parts with Canadian vocalist Mark uh, Martel, a winner of the Queen Extravaganza live tour audition. That's cool. Yeah, I I read about that. Like, there was a a backup singer for it. Mm Mm-hmm. On December 1st, 2017, The Hollywood Reporter reported that 20th Century Fox had temporarily halted production due to an unexpected unavailability of director Brian uh, uh, Brian Singer. Sources said that Singer had not returned to set after the Thanksgiving week. Discussions began. (laughs) There was, like, I think there was a serious thing. I think, yeah. Yeah, no, he had health health concerns. But just, like, before reading the health concerns, just, like, he didn't come back after Thanksgiving because he ate too much and took a nap. (laughs) Uh, Discussion began about replacing him. Cinematography Newton Thomas Siegel stepped up to direct during Singer's non-showing. Singer's absence was reportedly due to a personal health matter uh, concerning Brian and his family. Uh, while under three weeks left on the shoot, Singer requested a filming hiatus as his mother was extremely ill. Other sources, however, claimed that Malik and the crew had grown tired of Singer's behavior, who was reportedly arriving late to set and clashing with Malik. Remy Malik seems like a pretty down-to-earth cool guy. If you, have to, if you start a fight with him, I feel like there's something wrong with you, man. Something wrong on both ends, to be honest. Yeah, because Brian Singer also seems okay. But then again, a couple years ago, there were some allegations. We yeah. won't talk about those, though. Um, Tom Hollander briefly quit the film after issuing after uh, over issues with Singer, but also convinced, uh, well, also convinced to return on December right. uh, 4th, 2017. Singer was fired as director with about two weeks of scheduling principal photography remaining. And th- th- didn't this film win an Oscar, too? I think it wants something. So that, that 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 fucking sucks. Yeah. Right, do you want to pick up real quick? Uh, yeah. Uh, on December 2017, two days later, they got Dexter Fletcher to come back and replace Brian Singer, and on the 15th, he they resumed filming. Fletcher later estimated that two thirds of the principal photography had been completed when he joined production, saying, "I came in the last few weeks of principal photography and editing and the bits and the pieces like that. I was looking to complete." Uh, I was at, I was looking at two complete acts in a good film, and I had to not let them down. Uh, in 2018, uh, Lee posted on social media that filming had finished. Visual effects were provided by DNEG and supervised by Paul Norris, according to the um, Directors Guild of America. Only one director can be named for the film, and the DGA has sole control over who that will be. Although Fletcher replaced Singer on the set before film was completed, with two weeks left, Singer hired the cast, crew, and film most of the movie. So Singer got the credit. Producer, well, he got the the big credit. It's, yeah. He's still credited in the credits somewhere. 
Uh, producer Graham King announced in 2018 that Singer would receive directing credit on the finished film. Fletcher received an executive producing credit. There you go. Uh, major historical events surrounding the band are either portrayed out of order or inaccurately in the film. Yeah, um, I. This is where I. I this is, like, was the last bit of notes that I saw that everything else was like just oh here's what was wrong here here's what was right. That's good because I like that kind of stuff. It tells me like oh what what can I like look out for. Um, McCartan explained this was for dramatic effect, obviously. Saying that we're making a movie, not a documentary. Um, The visual blog, Information is Beautiful, deduced that while taking creative licenses into account, the film was 79.9% accurate when compared to real-life events, calling it a fairly truthful account represented in a massively compressed and edited timeline. Uh, The film's treatment of of Mercury's HIV diagnosis received particular criticism, with Jasper Rees describing in The Spectator as the most callous, Rearrangement of the facts. um, Exactly when uh, Mercury learned he had HIV is disputed, whether it was 86 or 87, uh, which is a few years after Live Aid. So in the movie, they were like, he got it right before Live Aid, and that's what made him reconnect with his buddies. Nah, he got it after. Uh, Taylor said that the other band members were not made aware of this condition until early 89, and then he died two years later. So, yeah. Yeah, I... I, th- th- there were more things in here, like, um, y- you had this scene where they got pissed off that, um, that, um, that Freddie was gonna do solo work, but yeah. in the time leading up to that, Brian May and Roger Taylor did their own solo work. Yeah, well, they have to make it dramatic for the movie. I know, but, like, don't paint, pa- don't paint people good when they did equally bad shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, when they did equally scummy stuff. Like, you, like, why get pissed off at Freddy for doing solo work when clearly, a year before this conversation, you guys did solo work? Yeah, but in the movie, they didn't do the solo work. Yeah, That's for some thing. fucking reason. Yeah, because you know, everyone wants to paint. Like, cause in, in to me, in my opinion, I mean, Brian May and Roger Taylor were executive producers. They were like, "Nah, we gotta look good. Freddy's dead. We can do whatever we want." I know, like, <laughs> which is I, shitty, but they made Freddy look like an asshole. I mean, from what I heard, though, he kind of was for a bit. It was all the drugs. He he was like yes, but mm. you like it, it's 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 still fucked up. Like yeah, show show, show your fallacies as well. Exactly. Uh, but the I, the only fun fact that I mentioned, which was the one at the beginning, is that um, the the live aid performance was the first thing they filmed, which is, makes sense because that's probably the most like everything you had to like. You had to film that early because that's also, a lot to do. But also, that's the most daunting thing to do because you're now exactly because not only are you filming the most iconic concert performance in music history, mm-hmm. you are also portraying you're also recreating it from the from beginning to end the full thirty minute performance mm-hmm. they they recreated. Yeah, it's crazy. Which is like just oh yeah, big oofs. All right, uh, Hunter, read us through this plot, and then we'll dive into the reviews. I have no yeah. notes for for, for, for for once cool, as well. Cool, cool. Well, it's because we've both seen this movie so many fucking times. Yeah, I also, I, I can't really take much notes during musical movies. Yeah, because you got to try to pay attention, and then, like, you're distracted, and then you want to sing. It is what it is. Yeah. Plus going, oh, man, I love that song is not really a good note. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, or lack of mid-movie notes later, but let's hop into the plot. So, 
1985, Queen prepares to take stage at Bob Geldof's Benefit Concert Live Aid at Wembley Stadium. But back in 1970, 15 years earlier, Farak Bulsara works as a baggage handler at Heatherow Airport and lives with his parents and sister. Farak goes to a pub to see the band Smile, seeking them after the show. Farak is attracted to Mary Austin and learns that she works at a boutique known as Biba. Farak finds drummer Roger Taylor and guitarist Brian May and learns that the lead singer, Tim Stafel, just resigned. Farak offers him as a replacement and impresses them with his vocal ability, which is crazy. He just flexes on him. He goes, yeah, why not me? Because he has two <laughs> lateral incisors. Yeah, so it gives him like more vocal range because his mouth is huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Farak goes to Biba, encounters Mary, and they become a couple. I thought it was Farak. Farouk, Farouk. whatever. Um, with Freddie as the lead singer and new bassist John Deacon, who's like the, my favorite character in this movie is Deacon. He's just great. He just looks like a good guy. Like the actor, I would like love to chill with him. He just seems tight. Yeah. Um, the band plays gigs across Britain. Freddie urges them to think bigger and sell their van to uh, finance a record album. As they work in a studio late at night, an E and R rep from EMI asks engineer Roy Thomas Baker for demos. Freddie changes his name to Freddie Mercury and changes the band's name to Queen. They sign with John Reed, Elton John's manager, and land a U.S. tour. Paul Pr- uh, Paul Prenter, who is attracted to Freddie, manages Queen's daily schedule. An appearance on Top of the Pops gives Queen their first hit, Killer Queen. Freddie proposes to Mary, but during the band's sold-out U.S. tour, he begins questioning his sexuality. In 1975, five years after the success of their band... Queen recorded their fourth studio album, A Night at the Opera, placing extensive effort in recording Freddie's masterpiece, Bohemian Rhapsody. However, they quit EMI when executive Ray Foster refuses to release it as the album's lead single, mostly because it's fucking six minutes long. Freddie conspires with the DJ Kenny Everett to debut the song on his program, despite mixed reviews. Bohemian Rhapsody becomes a global hit. It's six minutes long, but, like, two of the greatest, like, rock songs ever... It's for me that that are long. Got Bohemian Rhapsody and Jesus of Suburbia. I thought you were gonna say Through the Fire and Flames. That's nine minutes. Oh no, Freebirds nine minutes. Through the Fire and Flames is pretty average. Well, so well like Freebirds free good, but Jesus of Suburbia. That's nine minutes as well. Jeez, man, that's crazy. It's such a good <laughs> song though. Uh, um, launching the Queen into international star superstardom. Following a world tour, Freddie begins an affair with Paul and comes out to marry as bisexual. She counters that he's gay and they break up. I, so, okay, so, uh... He goes, I, I'm bisexual, and she I, goes, I, nah. I think Freddie actually was pansexual. That makes sense. I, I, I think he liked he liked everyone and anyone. He just didn't care. He was like, hey, if you're good looking and you want to party, let's party. Yeah. Yeah, he just proposed a little too quickly to uh, marry. Uh, she counters with that he's gay and they break up, but still remain close friends, but, like, not really. By the 1980, tensions begin to arise in the band over Paul's influence on Freddie. After a lavish party at his home, Freddie is attracted to a waiter, Jim Hutton. He's the fucking goat. Who tells Freddie to find him when he's learned self-acceptance. Paul encourages Reed to persuade Freddie to go solo, but when the, uh, the idea offends Freddie, Paul feigns ignorance and Freddie fires Reed without consulting the band. Despite increasing strain, Queen continues to produce hits, including We Will Rock You and Another One Bites the Dust. Their lawyer, Jim Miami Beach, takes over management. At the press conference in 1982 for their album Hot Space, reporters badger Freddie with questions about his personal life and sexuality, which I think is pretty shitty. Yeah. Freddie's relationship with the band sours further after the campy music video for I Want to Break Free 
backfires and he signs for a $4 million solo deal with CBS Records, effectively breaking up the band. He rec- he records hit uh, his first, oh my god, his 1984 solo album, Mr. Bad Guy, in Munich and engages in drugs and gay orgies with Paul. Mary, now married and pregnant, visits unexpectedly and urges Fred to return to Queen and participate in Live Aid. Realizing that Paul withheld him, uh, withheld news of Live Aid from him and has been a corrosive influence, Freddie fires him. Good. In retaliation, Paul goes public about Freddie's sexual escapades. Freddie returns to London to reconcile with his band and persuade them to play at Live Aid as a last-minute addition. With AIDS spreading worldwide, Freddie learns that he has the disease. He reveals his condition to the band but brushes off their sympathy, wishing to focus on performing and making music for however long he has left. The band embraces in solidarity. On the day Live Aid, oh, uh, he also finds Paul, uh, Jim Hutton. I mean, they did not uh, talk about that, but he, when he goes back to London, he finds uh, Jim. Yeah, because he found himself. Oh, no, there, it says it right there. Okay, on the day of Live Aid, Freddie Rick reconnects with Jim Hutton, Mary, and his family, and he's his father's um, Zoroastrian maxim, good thoughts, good words, good deeds. Freddie and the band are in the top uh, form in Live Aid, performing Bohemian Rhapsody, Radio Gaga, Hammer to Fall, and We Are the Champions, and helping increase funds, uh, donations during the event. The film ends with graphics explaining Freddie's death in 1991 of age-related pneumonia at 45. However, Miami and the band hosted uh, the Freddie Mercury tribute concert in his honor, and that Freddie remained friends with Mary and had a loving relationship with Hutton for the remainder of his life. And now Anna Lambert is the new lead singer of Queen. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I didn't know. I thought they broke up when he died. Nope. That just goes to show you how much I followed Queen. I just like the the Freddie Mercury songs. I, I, I knew about the Adam Lambert thing because like, so I, I looked up stuff about Queen. Like, yeah. w- w- with this movie prior. Yeah, a- Adam Lambert's the new lead singer of Queen. Weird. And that is it, weird. It, it, it does not sound good. <laughs> it's I don't think it's. It's probably not that bad. It's no, probably just not Freddie. No, it's Freddy. like Adam Lambert does not hold a candle to Freddie's voice. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Like, it's... Freddie is legendary, so hard to beat that, you know? But yeah, um, that was like pretty much the, the plot of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. A nice mm. movie. Once again, like, like th- this movie made me fall in love with songs about with Queen that I didn't really know of. Like, sure, I heard Radio Gaga play in GTA Five. That was my first introduction to that song. <laughs> Same. I'm, I'm being honest. Like, I, I heard that song driving. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Then hearing Hammer to Fall, that's my new favorite Queen song. It's such a good song. But, um, yeah. So I, I guess we want to dive into... uh. The, the review now, Hunter? Yeah, let's shoot up into the reviews. Um, <clears throat> on Rotten Tomatoes, the film holds an approval rating of 61%. Fuck you. Based on 406 reviews from critics with an 85% from audiences. There we go. That's based off, with of an, course, of 255,000 reviews. Yeah, with an average rating of 6.1. The website's critical consensus reads, Bohemian Rhapsody hits a handful of high notes, but as an in-depth look at a beloved band, it offers more of a medley than a great than true greatest hits collection. Nah, dude, I think this is one of the best ones. So, fuck you. So, I'm still waiting for a good kiss one though. So, we'll see. I'll probably get that eventually. That's what I'm thinking. Uh so I I give this like slightly bit higher than uh you. Mm-hmm. I will read off the uh, good review. This is from Matthew St. Uh, Clair of Cinema uh Centuries. Uh thanks to the film's abstract the uh, aesthetic 
That's aesthetically pleasing musical sequences and Rami Malek's um, commanding leading performance. It still serves as an adequate reminder of both the band's musical genius and Freddie's one-of-a-kind stage presence. Yeah, man. Rami Malek really killed it. So, you know, it was really hard to find, like, a very brutal review. Yeah, because this movie was pretty favorable. And some of them mainly were just criticizing uh, just Rami Malek in, in general. Mm. So this they were like, is like, he's stinky. So th- this is the worst review I could find that was not criticizing an actor. Yeah, so from Natasha Alvar from the Critical Movie Critics... The film squandered its opportunity to tell a story worthy of Freddie Mercury. He was magnificent and larger than life, and all we got is a plate full of mediocrity and average. That's not true at all. Half right, half not right. Yeah, no, I can see where they're coming from, but at the same time, I'm like, this is a pretty extravagant film, you know? Anyway, I gave it nine Freddie screams out of ten when he's going, I love that. I forget what song that's for. I think that's that's just like a nice like crowd thing to do. Maybe. So uh, I don't really have a true explanation on why I gave it a nine. I just really liked this film. I remember seeing it back when it came out with my buddies, and it was just a really good film to watch. It has a lot of good feel good moments. It's got its good depressing like mockumentary, not mockumentary, um, biopic you know staples where it's like the movie starts out with a greatness, and then it goes it's sad in the middle, and then it's extravagant at the end. So it's got the the cookie cutter musical biopic storyline, but it's still really good. I got a lot of insight onto Queen, one of my favorite bands. No, I wouldn't say favorite because I haven't listened to all their music, but I like what I like. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't know. I liked the movie. I thought it was pretty good. It's not perfect in my opinion. There are some weak moments and the, the middle pacing is a little poor. Like, obviously, Paul's a piece of shit. Get rid of him. But that's, you know, real life. So I could, couldn't, you know. Yeah. It's like Freddie wanted to get rid of him. Remember, he was trying to find the Jim Beach. Like, no, no, uh, the Jim, Jim's in. Yeah, he was trying to find Jim Hutton somewhere around the middle. And, and there was like a hundred Jim Huttons. Yeah, in there was London. a bunch, and he was like, "It's very hard to find you." <laughs> so, I gave this ten livey performances out of ten. Um, so this film is far from perfect. Yeah. So is, is this film far from far from perfect? Yes. But, uh, but do. You want, uh, well, wow, I fucked up, uh, but do you want to know why I gave it a 10? Well, it's because they shot the Live Aid performance first, and that's not just what, in the, not just what we saw in the final production. Uh, no, they shot the full 30-minute performance front to back. That's why it gets a 10. And if it wasn't for that, this film would easily get a 6 or a 7. For most of the factually incorrect information, and being that the rest of Queen wanted to look good, and that doesn't sit right with me. Because mm-hmm. everyone in the band did horrible shit as well. Yeah. But overall, I think this this movie for the music... Uh, I like this movie for the music because it's Queen overall and they just fucking rule. Yeah. I totally agree. That's pretty much the, the reason why I like this movie a lot. Because it, it's Queen. Like, mm-hmm. when we talk about Rocketman, that movie's getting a 10 in general. Because I just... Oh, such a good movie. Yeah, that movie's great. I saw I saw both these in theaters with my dad because my dad's a Queen fan. My dad is also an Elton John fan. Mm-hmm. It's it's just like I, I like I like movies like this. I want to see more. It's like that's why I, I like the Dirt, um, the one about Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. It, it's I, I love musical biopics. The musical biopics are awesome. I know Yesterday is not a biopic, but it's still really good. Yeah, I, and then um, with, with, with Dirt though, I think that's probably one of the most true to life. 
uh, biopics we'll, we'll get. Because everyone's portrayed like a fucking asshole in all that movie. Dude, the dirt is so sad, though, because I knew nothing about Motley Crue besides, like, some of their songs. Oh, yeah. And when I was watching it, I was like, oh, my God. It, it's sad, <laughs> but also, like, it's uh, everything there is true to life. Everyone had a hand in helping make that film. That's awesome. But can't get us off with the outro. Thank you guys for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at Box Office Losers and on Twitter at Box Office Loser up-to-date news post whenever the hell we feel like posting we haven't done so in a while i just get lazy with instagram sometimes like, i get I'll be lazy on a roll with twitter and I, i'll I, just yeah i get lazy with twitter because i like using my own i don't like using the company twitter exactly i don't like using tw- uh, twitter and instagram that aren't mine because i just forget about them uh don't forget to leave a review subscribe to the youtube channel subscribe to the podcast wherever podcasts are found leave a review wherever you can find it fuck it just if you want to like scream out your window and say how much you like this podcast, do it. Uh, share share with your family, friends. Secretly subscribe to the podcast on any of your friends' phones, family's phones. I don't yeah, care. Dude, definitely do that. That's fine. Hunter, <laughs> though, where can we find you? You can find me at Scruffy Moose Man on most social media platforms. You can also follow me at Android's Amazing Podcast, a comic book podcast I do with my co-host. This week we talked about Black Widow. Go check out that movie. It's amazing. Just uh, don't, uh, don't, if you like Taskmaster a lot, yeah, don't see the movie. <laughs> it's not, okay, the twist wasn't bad, but they shouldn't have used Taskmaster, they should have just made up a new character. Yeah. Using the name Taskmaster, you, you think you're getting something, and then you're delivered something different, and it's just not, because Taskmaster is this charismatic copycat, and all we got was a copycat. There was like I, I, after we're done recording, I'm gonna, I'm gonna if you if you know about the rumors of who Taskmaster was supposed to be, um, Danny, I think the black guy, right? Yeah, yeah, he was supposed to be uh, the character Danny. It was supposed to be the actor, but that was the red herring. Because like what? Because th- there's a lot of things. Cause, like there was well, in the shots. ultimate in the ultimate universe, Taskmaster's black, in uh, and then that actor just has a lot of charisma. So people were like, it's gotta be him. Maybe, like, maybe, maybe it is him, for all we know. And then they just, like, did a, 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 a collusion type thing. Maybe there's two. Because with this new Taskmaster being in the suit... And also the we're multiverse. Not gonna spoil, we're not going to spoil who it is. Yeah, with the new Taskmaster and the potential multiverse stuff from Loki and Doctor Strange and WandaVision, we could easily get a different Taskmaster or even Tony Masters still out there. So... And also, anyway, when when, when this airs, the season fin- uh, the series finale of of Loki no, comes only, out. Only the season finale. They are doing a second second season. They are. Yep. They announced Loki's getting a season two. Wow. I, a, I, I at all the shows, Loki gets a season two. Well, because Loki is the only one that really can. WandaVision leads into a movie, and Falcon Winter Soldier leads into Captain America four. So, with Loki, since he is now time-displaced because he died in Endgame, uh, Infinity War, what do you do with him? Make him Doctor Who! I mean, that could have that could have just been a rumor about the Season 2 announcement, like a little misdirection, so they didn't spoil what was happening. It, it, but it, from what I'm aware of, it is getting It all depends two. on how the show ends. That's pretty much exactly. it. Exactly. And, uh, well, for, for, for my social media plugs, you can find I'm not me- done yet! You can also follow me at Farthest Galaxy, a Star Wars podcast. Okay, you're good. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Dark Shadows Egg literally everywhere social media is found. Uh, you can also catch me every Thursday. Thank God it feels good to say every Thursday. Yeah, because, because the NBA Finals really fucked this up for the AEW injection. 
So catch us every Thursday on the AEW Injection. Uh, this week we are covering night one of Fighter Fest, and then following weeks we'll do night two. I will not be on Fight for the Fallen because I will be there. That's just another update once again in case you guys forgot. You can also catch me whenever it gets uploaded. Don't really know when. Uh, um, you can catch me just on the Pro Wrestling What Ifs. Very, very weird scheduling for that, but it doesn't matter. And everything else, well, you, you can just catch me back here whenever we do shit. Catch him on the flippity-dippity. But other than that, though, guys, we do appreciate you all for listening and watching. We'll catch you all next week. Goodbye. Peace.